0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew.
1: I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Mara.
0: On today's episode, with a year to go until the alleged release of Fantastic Beast 3, we are kicking off a series of Fantastic Beast character discussions. These, w- my voice just went up! I'm so excited! These will become more regular as news about FB3 services, but for now, we're thinking of monthly character discussions about the Core Four and other main characters, and today's topic, we're starting off with a good one, Albus Dumbledore portrayed by Jude Law. So today, we're going to refresh you on what we know about young Dumbledore prior to the Fantastic Beasts film series before jumping into a discussion on what he was up to in Crimes of Grindelwald. Before we get started, I want you to make sure you are following MuggleCast for free on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And make sure to follow us on social media so you can get show previews, HP-related news, and our favorite HP memes making us lull, which is honestly my favorite part of our social media channels.
1: My favorite part is I just saw that post that you made with the various uh, Fantastic Beasts titles we were going through fp 3
0: That was so so good. That was probably one of my favorite posts we've actually done. And then I saw on Twitter today, it only had like six likes, and I was like, oh. Uh, it deserves more. I, I
3: enjoy when she takes things from the episodes and creates them into graphics. Yes. Like the Dobby on Jerry Springer. Yeah.
0: By the way, <laughs> one of our listeners who is joining us next week informed us that that whole Draco being Dobby's dad thing or Dobby, which which way is
1: it? Dobby, Dobby being Draco's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dobby
0: being Draco's dad. <laughs> that's from a very Potter sequel.
1: Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's definitely, it's like a. It's a running joke, in joke okay. kind of a thing. It's a good scene. I, I funny. thought
0: this guy who keeps messaging us came up with this. Maybe it was Darren Cress <laughs> who came up with it
1: or Joey well, Richter. I think we're willing to, it might it be the genesis of an idea from multiple different people all at once, right? It's such a good idea. It's yes. so canon compliant. Yes.
0: All Potter fans just wake up and have that theory pop in their heads. <laughs>
3: and uh, just wanted to let our listeners know that both Eric and I guest hosted Potterless, uh, over the last four weeks, actually, <laughs> we uh talked about the Lego Harry Potter video games, years one to four, and then years five to seven. Eric did one to four, I did five to seven. They're each broken out into two separate uh episodes and just had a lot of fun uh talking about the video games, reminiscing what it was like to play those games, and uh always have a good time talking with Mike, who has been on this show before. So encourage folks to go over and uh, give a listen to those episodes. It was amazing. All we four got, of them.
1: It was amazing. We got a whole month takeover of Potterless over there. <laughs> True. Yeah. but yeah. well, you mentioned on part one of, of your episode, Micah, that the last time that we played those games was together when you were in Chicago. And when I went to play the games to record for the episodes, I loaded up our old save game file and I got very nostalgic. It was amazing.
0: All right, so let's move into our main discussion today. We're going to be talking about young Dumbledore. You know, we we haven't really done character-focused discussions following the release of Crimes of Grindelwald, so we've been kicking around this idea for a while, and we thought now that we're about a year away from the release, allegedly, of Fantastic Beasts 3, this would be <laughs> a great time to do it, so we can kind of refresh ourselves on these characters and uh, have updated discussions on these characters after the events of Crimes of Grindelwald.
1: It was crazy seeing Crimes of Grindelwald again, too, by the way. Because I, I think the last time we did substantial discussion for the movie was right after it came out in November of 2018. Wow. Yeah. It's been a while.
2: Well, and we had our commentary.
1: Oh, true. We did have our commentary. Yep. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely very interesting refreshing myself on the various plot points and you know, for this episode when Dumbledore shows up. Uh, it's a heck of a thing.
0: Yeah. So let's get into it.
1: So to begin our discussion on, uh, Door or Dumbledam or Yumbledore. Yumbledore. You call him, that makes me think of Yam. I think that we all can agree that Jude Law's performance, um, was very good and definitely hit the right notes for Dumbledore. Would you guys agree? Definitely. I'm curious though. Are are these popular on like social media? Is that where you found these? Uh, Yumbledore was actually just submitted to us by a listener the other day for the first time that I saw it. But, um, what about Yumbledore is the more how about Al Bang Yumbledore? Al Bang, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) Uh, that that one's new, but yeah, sure. Uh, good. Good looking Dumbledore. Why why does the last name get all the love? That's Um, my point. Fair. Um, Fair enough. Now I wonder if Harry's kid is nicknamed like Albang Severus. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) uh, But we like Jude Law as Dumbledore, right guys? Yeah. No,
2: I really do think that he captured the essence of at least what I would imagine a young Dumbledore to be like albeit he was uh, significantly better dressed in his youth and so i wonder when we're going to see the turning point yeah <laughs> where he goes from these like tailored vests and suits to long flowy
0: <laughs> right
2: whimsical right. robes and yeah. people have
0: also been comparing Jude Law's Dumbledore with the young Dumbledore we see in Half-Blood Prince and there's memes going around about being like, look how fast Dumbledore aged. Imagine what he went through, you know, me before the <laughs> pandemic, me after the pandemic. Because <laughs> if you compare well, those it, two young Dumbledores, there's a dramatic difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, there certainly is. But this, it it, it kind of really showed us a Dumbledore that could move, right? A Dumbledore that was suave and fully in, in control of his faculties. I don't know, compared to, you know, the late Richard Harris and also the very angry Michael Gambon's performance. Uh you you finally had a Dumbledore on the silver screen that you weren't worried. I said this before and it is slightly offensive and I apologize. You weren't worried what he was going to blow away and you also weren't worried that he was going to back you up into a wall and shout at you. So this was a real relief uh a, this was a relief from a viewer's standpoint as a Harry Potter fan getting to see Jude Law's calm very like with it, suave kind of Dumbledore. He was still calculating. He was still a character that I look forward to discussing on this episode for the intricacies, but he was just a pleasure to watch. But before we get into talking about Jude Law specifically, I went back through good old Deathly Hallows, which is where we have most of our information for young Dumbledore and pulled some information that we may have forgotten because it's also been a real long time since we went through Deathly Hallows. Uh, So here's there's basically three main sources uh, of Dumbledore information in Deathly Hallows. And the first comes from Elpheus Doge's obituary for Dumbledore. So it seems that young Dumbledore was just 10 years old when his dad, who was named Percival, attacked three Muggles. It was sort of right before Albus came to Hogwarts. This had occurred. And we know that the attack on the Muggles was precipitated by their Uh, run in an encounter with Dumbledore's sister, Ariana. And for this attack, which may or may not have been sort of righteous or defensive or anything, Percival was sent to Azkaban where he died. As far as informing Dumbledore's character, this has got to be, you know, a pretty big deal. You're talking about sort of a broken home scenario and also dealing with controversy.
2: Yeah, and also I would imagine the social stigma Of one's father being put in the most infamous wizarding prison, right? (laughs) So thinking about him being that young when that happened and being able to rise above that adversity in order to become um, the renowned figure that he was is pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah. And and there is definitely a case to be made for Doge's obituary being a bit like hero worship. Mm-hmm. According to Alphias Doge's obituary, Albus distinguishes himself within like the first year, like within his first year of Hogwarts, he lowers the stigma against his dad or it just becomes non-issue. Um, and he basically starts these lifelong collaborations with people like Nicholas Lomel and Bathilda Bagshot and Al- Adalbert Waffling, a theoretician. Um, so it's crazy to think, you know, Harry at 11 years old. Did you know amazing and impressive things and found his way to the Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone and all that? But Albus probably would have had Harry beat. I think just really making enough of a name for himself that these older wizards want to chat with you when you're eleven. That's nuts. Yeah,
2: yeah, pretty remarkable when you consider too the difference between the two of them is that Harry was sort of marked as an infant, right, mm. Dumbledore literally just made a name for himself, right? Like there was no dark wizard that marked him as their equal from infanthood.
1: That's a good point. Wow. So you're saying fame came harder to Elvis. Like it wasn't just waiting in the wings sort of.
2: Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't, I I can't imagine that he would have had his name sort of in history books before he Developed the ability to speak, for example, which we know was the truth for Harry. Um, Harry was such a well known name in the wizarding world before he could properly communicate <laughs> or build memories.
3: Mm-hmm. But one interesting, I guess, difference there, though, is that Dumbledore sought the attention, he sought the power, whereas Harry
2: did not. If it
3: was up to him, probably would have chosen not to have. Had those hellish seven years uh at Hogwarts, mm. so uh, I also think it's really important that we're bringing up this information because we've already seen it start to inform parts of the Fantastic Beast series, and I think there's probably things in here that we're gonna talk through that will continue to do so, so be fun to kind of look back at some point yeah. and see a point that gets brought up here um uh, being relevant,
1: yeah. And I know like Dumbledore, although he first shows up in Crimes of Grindelwald in person as Jude Law, um, the, you know, he does get a shout out in the first Fantastic Beasts film. Uh, in fact, Graves, who we later find out is Grindelwald, uh, asks Newt about Dumbledore's comments, uh, on him. Mm-hmm. And so Dumbledore is just like well known the world over. Before you know that that's secretly Grindelwald, you are perfectly expecting it to be reasonable that somebody like Dumbledore would be known across the pond. But, um, you know, a quick note here because we did mention Ariana, but Aberforth, it is stated, came to Hogwarts when uh Albus was in year four, so the two boys are like three years apart, and according to Mr Doge, uh they weren't not friends, but they were just different. Aberforth was more physically dominant, and Albus was of course more more so mentally um so that just kind well, of Aberforth.
3: A picture he wrestles with goats so naturally he'd be more muscular <laughs>
1: well and that it just kind of paints a picture obviously that informs what happens later at the like the funeral where albus gets punched you know it's like mm-hmm. a big deal but it does speak to you know i don't know if you guys well i know you guys have who have siblings but you, the different it, it's not like you're not friends right it's just you can have two completely different kids With the same, yeah, they're they're leading different
0: lives.
2: Yeah, I mean, my brother and I are pretty different people, but um, thus far, neither one of us has punched the other in the face. So I think we're doing pretty well. If your brother (laughs)
0: wanted to take over the wizarding world and control muggles, would uh, you fight him? On that, like Aberforth did?
2: Of course, I would, but okay. my brother's way too chill of a guy to want to do that. <laughs> I'm like the high strung sibling, uh-huh. high anxiety. He's like the the low stress and chill sibling.
1: Okay. Got Are it. you the oldest, Laura? Yep. Yep. That's how it works. Yep.
2: <laughs> always. That's always how it plays out. So,
1: as if uh, Dumbledore didn't have enough to contend with, unfortunately, when he graduated Hogwarts, his mother died. This was right after he graduated Hogwarts and he and Elpheus were going to be going on a journey around the world. Apparently uh, a tradition, basically. I think the way people usually take gap years um, in those countries. But uh, he had to instead move back to Godric's Hollow, become the breadwinner of his family, because I guess Aberforth is still in school at that point. Ariana, it's important to mention, never went to Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Um, She weirdly was kept out of both the public eye and out of the public in, in you know, period, Uh, possibly as a result of her sort of health. And that was something that is constantly brought up in these segments, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout Deathly Hallows. And we know from the first Fantastic Beasts that we have a pretty good idea what affliction Ariana suffered. Mm -hmm. We believe that she was an obscurial, um, which would be amazing and there's definitely some bits in Deathly Hallows where some of these like um, excerpts really make it sound exactly controlling
0: like that. her magic, yeah. having to suppress the magic, being bullied. Yeah, the, the the dots connect there for sure.
3: And well, and important to note that's how Kendra died.
1: Right, Albus had to go back to Godric's Hollow and care for his family. So that speaks to me. You know, somebody who is organized in in Dumbledore, somebody who he's clearly competent, he's clearly capable. He's at that point internationally renowned, even at age 17. But whereas people go on and expect great things from you, you've then got the familial responsibility aspect. And I think Dumbledore probably resented that a little.
0: Oh, yeah. He wanted to go out there. He had big plans for his life, and then he had to just take care of his family, which I'm sure he saw as important, but his dreams were suddenly dashed. had to stay at home he doesn't strike us as a stay-at-home kind of guy
2: no well we also know that he had a lot of hubris going on at that point i mean he literally thought that he and grindelwald were like the answer to everything right i mean imagine thinking that you are so crucial to the world and then being told you actually have to go home and care for your younger siblings Um,
0: you're crucial to the family. Stay home. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) But clearly he thought that he was destined for greater things than that.
0: And I feel that just because, you know, you dream and then your life changes in some way, be it with your family or in another way. And then you got to put things aside to focus on the family in this instance.
2: And he didn't do it very well, did he?
0: (laughs) No, we'll talk about that. There's there's little Mm -hmm. hints of that even in Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, for
1: sure. So. Just real quick, they do sort of. Elpheus talks about the eventual confrontation with Grindelwald. He doesn't know the details of them being young friends or friends sort of after albus graduated but he does know and the line here is those who witnessed it have written of the terror and the awe they felt as they watched these two extraordinary wizards do battle
0: warner brothers open up your purse (laughs) yeah
2: i was gonna say this sets a high bar for that battle right like
0: i think it'll be a big battle in the film i don't think there's any doubt that'll be the climax of the series you know so I i think they'll do it justice
1: Do you think they'll split the fifth Fantastic Beast film into two parts and have part two just be the battle? (laughs)
0: Let's see how the uh, box office returns go on number three and four.
2: (laughs) I do wonder how they will differentiate it enough from the climax of Fantastic Beasts 2, because we did get that sort of similar aesthetic of... Newt and Grindelwald maybe or not Newt, excuse me, of Dum- or of Grindelwald in that space and people sort of standing around watching everything happen. So I wonder if that's how we're expecting it to play out for this sort of final battle, if they're gonna try and make it different enough from Harry and Voldemort's final battle in Deathly Hallows Part Two. Like I think this could actually be a little bit of a challenge.
1: Yeah. I, I think I think too. I think I completely agree that the wand work can kind of, even on film, look monotonous. And mm-hmm. so, whereas you get that scene in the, de- or outside of the Department of Mysteries when Dumbledore and Voldemort face off, that I think will be the closest to what we get in the eventual Fantastic Beasts finale. But again, things like crazy walls of fire and, you know, just big sort of elemental magic, um, they have to be careful not to do that. Too much before you get to the eventual battle; otherwise, it'll be like, "How do we possibly make this new or exciting?" Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: right?
3: I mean, we know that Grindelwald isn't going to just evaporate into thin air, so there's that—that
1: that right. is that true. we have
0: working in our favor. <laughs> no disintegrating, please. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I I think the way to go is to do emotional sort of battle, right? Because we know that Albus lets Grindelwald live that's actually the huge difference is, Mm. you know, in the department of mysteries or even at the end, one of them dies, but how's it going to be exciting if, you know, the bad guy at the end of the film is allowed, is just carted away to jail and have that be like a satisfying conclusion.
3: Right. I I mean, I've always been of the mind that Grindelwald loses his magical ability. And and so that's what makes this such an epic fight. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that anything of that, like has ever happened before and if anybody can remove somebody's magical ability i would think it would be dumbledore and that would also tie into a lot of what we see around this obscurus and the fact that it you know is sort of this chaotic form of of magic and if you know you can remove somebody essentially from who they are I don't know. Like that's just some yeah. some random thoughts well, I have. I
1: never heard of that before. I thought that I think that's amazing. I think
2: that it's a plausible theory. We've never seen anything to suggest that he has magic once he's imprisoned.
1: Right.
0: And I'm also thinking Newt lost his wand, right? He was expelled and his wand was broken. Maybe mm. there's some like symmetry there.
1: Yeah. But I think it definitely I love the idea, especially because, Michael, what you're saying with the Obscurial and how that's going to play in. um, Yeah, I really like that. But yeah, emotionally, can you believe, guys, getting back to stuff we have from Deathly Hallows? Can you believe that Albus and Gellert (laughs) just makes me laugh? Apologies to anybody in the real world whose name is Gellert. Um, But Albus and Gellert, it's just unfamiliar. That's what makes it funny. Um, Knew each other for two months, period. Yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah. It was a it was a very intense friendship for a very short amount of time.
1: Spring fling. Spring fling. Yes.
0: It
2: was <laughs> summer love, baby.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh man. So let's move to this
0: info from Rita on Ariana. First of all though, I just wanted to remind everybody about the battle that took place Ariana was accidentally killed when Aberforth, Albus, and Grindelwald had a three-way duel over Albus and Grindelwald's idea to take over the Wizarding World and rule Muggles. They had this duel because Aberforth didn't like this grand plan that they hatched, and he also didn't like that Ariana would be dragged along on their travels. So that's a little background info. Now, in terms of what Rita had to say about this, she quoted Aunt Muriel. Muriel said, Aberforth shouted that it was all Albus's fault that Ariana was dead and then punched him in the face. According to Bathilda, Albus did not even defend himself, and that's odd enough in itself. Albus could have destroyed Aberforth in a duel with both hands tied behind his back. So that makes me think Albus knew at the time that it was his fault that Ariana died. If he's not even willing to put up a fight, and I feel like he implies this in The Crimes of Grindelwald, but we'll get to that later.
1: Yeah, I think whether he knows for sure who whose spell hit her, I think he is doing sort of the older brother thing and taking responsibility, right? Like if his younger brother is going to hit him, he almost welcomes the pain of a broken nose, especially keep in mind, this is the wizarding world. You can heal that like nothing.
0: Yeah,
2: I think that he's also taking accepting the blame because up until this point, he's placed his own. Sort of abilities, his own intelligence, his own worth, um, what he perceives to be himself as being this like crucial leader of the wizarding world. He's placed all of that above his family. And I think there's an argument to be made that Albus feels, had he never done that, they would have never been in this situation with Ariana to begin with.
1: Yeah, and it's unco- it's unclear if Albert, if Albus went home during the holidays or like really how often he saw his sister. Um and that ties into kind of a comment he makes in Crimes of Grindelwald.
3: I think Laura is is definitely on the right track when just in terms of the responsibility, right? Like whether or not it was his spell that ultimately destroyed her I don't think is really at the root here it's it's the fact that he's ultimately responsible for Grindelwald coming into their lives and being mm-hmm. in that place in Godric's Hollow and being in that situation and he's also the the primary caretaker of his siblings so he's responsible for them every single day because their parents are no longer around so um, whether or not the spell hit i don't think is as important here if it was him who ultimately did it i think he would probably feel even worse. But I I think we may not ever know whose spell did it. Even in the movie, we may never see it.
0: Muriel also said, why did half of us never even know she existed until they carried the coffin out of the house and held a funeral for her? Where was saintly Albus while Ariana was locked in the cellar? Off being brilliant at Hogwarts and never mind what was going on in his own house. Uh, Harry objected to this what characterization. He said, what do you mean locked in the cellar? What is this? So this, of course, remember when was when Harry was learning all these things about Dumbledore. So he was kind of in shock to hear yeah. that he wasn't perfect.
3: Muriel's being a a bit of a drama queen here, I
0: think. Too. Yeah,
3: like she's she's in right. her cups. She's had a few drinks. Talking and to gossip. Yeah. She's enjoying this conversation. Talking to gossip yeah, queen exactly. Rita.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, also, what a large expectation to levy on someone who is effectively a child. I mean, he. Was just post Hogwarts, and you know we can sit here and and talk about Dumbledore's feelings about maybe not being there for his family as much as he feels like he should have after mm-hmm. the fact, but it's I think pretty inappropriate for an adult to be like, oh, are you seventeen? Are both your parents dead? Well, uh, I hope you're ready to give up your life and take care of your underage siblings, mm-hmm. like. We really do have to acknowledge that Dumbledore was in a difficult position here, even though we also acknowledge that he, at this time, was on the wrong side of history.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's two. There's a generation of people, probably like in Muriel's generation, that really expect you to keep a... Keep, I don't even know what this phrase means. Keep a house. Like, keep a good Like, you need your to put your own house in order.
2: Right. And Family so that's, first.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's why... This line about why did we even know, like, where was Saint Lealbus? Never mind what was going on in his own house. It's like, you need to get your house out of disarray. You need to see to family first, exactly like what you said. And that's certainly a way of thought. It's not the only way of thought. It's, you know, for people who come from troubled homes, or I would say, speaking about myself, came from a broken home, like divorced parents, like, I think that I was encouraged to further my own studies and further myself and seek out opportunities that came to me. Nobody ever told me I had to stay home and amend like relationships and certainly like try and get my parents back together. Nobody said that ever, you know? So it's like it'd be weird if they had. I'm just,
3: I'm struggling with this. Part though, because is she saying that they never knew that Ariana existed in, in, at any point in time prior to when she was, you know, carted off out of, out of the home in a coffin? Because, she, you know, prior to what we think is her becoming an obscurus, presumably she would have been out and about in Godric's Hollow or, or wherever they lived prior. And people would have known of her. It's it it seems kind of odd for her to make the statement, but certainly once she did become an obscurist, I think that it makes sense that the family would hide it. I mean Right? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, this speaks to Think the about
3: me- the first movie and, and the like the persecution of, of credence.
1: Yeah. Oh, especially. It's it's super it's not popular to be obscurist. Um, But the the big thing about the manipulative nature of the Dumbledores is exactly that, right? They kept her sort of existence as an obscurist secret, but it seems like they also kept her existence as a secret to begin. But then again, like, think about how people know you in the Wizarding World. It's because they went to Hogwarts with you. So if she gets injured, or if she has this run-in with these muggle boys, whatever they were doing, and it injures her and causes her to have to be kept at home, she would not be known by the wider wizarding world in public because they never saw her, especially at Hogwarts. You know, Godric's Hollow is a village. It's small. And I feel like Dumbledore or the Dumbledore family are not above a few well-placed memory charms here and there. I feel like they could have very easily, because she had never been to Hogwarts, quite easily erase Ariana from existence.
0: Or maybe it was just Muriel who never saw Ariana. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and Muriel's just exaggerating. Why yeah. and I mean she did say why did half of us never even know she yeah. existed? So it wasn't like, you know, if we take her at face value here, uh nobody at In Godrick's Hollow saw her. So maybe they just didn't let her out of the house often. I mean, we have those neighbors who we rarely <laughs> see leave the house. Once in a blue moon, you see they have like a child, you're like, oh well, they do they have a kid. Why don't they <laughs> let them outside well them. more? Oh, they have a dog? Damn.
2: How often are you thinking about your neighbors like that and wondering, like, hmm, what's the exact makeup of this household? How many people live there? Like, nobody thinks about their neighbors that way, or at least I don't think most people do. Um, So I think it's entirely possible that this is just a neighborhood gossip that Rita was able to very easily Get on the record. Yeah, uh, we all know one of these people. Yeah. Like, I feel like every neighborhood has one. I mean, for the record, <laughs> yeah.
0: I need to know everything about my direct neighbors. You know, the house to the left and right. <laughs> but everybody else, I don't really care <laughs> about. But
1: those two, cause yeah. they're closest.
0: You know, I you I gotta trust them.
1: But this was the 1930s, right? I think of like idyllic America, which was probably closer to the 50s. But wherever the whole neighborhood knew each other, right? The whole neighborhood na- and it very close knit, that kind of thing. Maybe it was like that maybe it was more modern where we don't look out for each other but i do think there was a degree of actual erasure taking place yeah. because we know that the dumbledores are capable of that kind of yeah secret keeping let's just say
2: yeah there. and i could see them justifying it to themselves um in the name of protecting ariana right yeah. and protecting the family yeah um So, yeah, I mean, same way that we see Dumbledore playing chess with other people throughout the series.
1: Yeah. Well, here's a weird uh, fact. Evidently, no healer from St. Mungo's was ever summoned to care for Ariana. And that's another interesting thing. Obviously, the Dumbledores didn't want it to get out what she was or what happened to her after the incident. But the idea that they would prevent her from receiving magical care... Speaks to either huge hubris like they thought they could do it better themselves or they really were very protective of their might might be a
0: mix of both. I mean, we were just saying Albus has a big ego at this point, so I can definitely see him being the type of person, a very skilled wizard thinking I can take care of her myself. We don't need some outside help. And he would he might also think that the benefit of this is that I get to keep
1: Ariana a secret. She's totally an obscurial, right? Yes. Like we wouldn't have been introduced to this. Like it's like a hundred percent accurate that she has to be. Yeah.
0: We'll we'll get into that more later, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Rita also shared info on Grindelwald. She said, at 16 years old, even Durmstrang felt it could no longer turn a blind eye to the twisted experiments of Grindelwald, and he was expelled. Grindelwald was expelled for near-fatal attacks upon fellow students. He fled the country hours after the girl's death, and Albus, out of shame or fear, never saw him again, not until forced to do so by the pleas of the wizarding world. And uh, maybe that's part of where the blood pack comes into play.
1: Right, right. Uh, Twisted Experiments. This is very weird, dark stuff, but Grindelwald, it was literally too dark for Durmstrang, the school that we're told relishes the dark arts.
0: And we see him kill a baby for no good reason in Crimes of Grindelwald, so. Yeah, that, fair enough. That's okay. in line. That's in line. That checks out. <laughs> yeah.
2: I know oh man they were like you thought Voldemort was bad he was willing to kill a baby watch how many people this dude kills
0: Grindelwald kills a baby for no reason Yeah (laughs) it's not even a threat Rita did say that prior to Ariana's death Dumbledore and Grindelwald got along like a cauldron on fire Wow And this was within the same year that Kendra died by the way this was a this was a busy year
1: Rita also asks, is it possible that Ariana Dumbledore was the first person to die, quote, for the greater good? And yeah, I I think I can see in the two short months that Gellert and Albus were together, they hatched this sort of plan or everything Grindelwald wanted to do. He was clearly ambitious enough to want to take over Europe and maybe the world. But those two months with Dumbledore were where they really were able to hash out the details and really work through some of the stumbling points. And in fact, the letter that Rita uncovers from Albus to Gellert is the same way. It's Dumbledore literally giving Grindelwald the excuse, say in saying, "For the greater good." The letter is where Dumbledore's like, "You should say this," and that's just going to be the line. This going to be the line you're going to use, and that's the line he ends up using. It's crazy. So Dumbledore and Grindelwald burn like a cauldron on fire. And Ariana is the first person to pay the price. I 100% believe it. Like, they screwed up. Or Dumbledore, Dumbledore in particular, screwed up. He did not realize the danger that somebody like Gellert posed to the world in general and to his immediate family members.
2: Yeah, well, it also speaks again to Dumbledore's ego in thinking that... He is uh, a good judge of character, which clearly at this point in his life, he is not. (laughs) Um, I think that he grew from that clearly, we see over the course of the court books. Um, But yeah, I mean, to your, your question about is Ariana the first person to die for the greater good? I don't think that was his intent, but I think that there's certainly an argument to be made that she was
3: and I think it's likely that a situation played out with Ariana very similar to how we're seeing it play out with Credence in the Fantastic Beast film, where it's it's a quest to basically utilize this power for evil in, in the case of Grindelwald, right? And so I wonder, is it a situation where she was potentially experimented on, right? Because this is post incident with those muggle boys so we would assume that this is all kind of taken full form from an obscure standpoint and that that could initially be what drew grindelwald to dumbledore like we 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 talk wow. about this mm-hmm. whole kind of relationship and the fact that you know they were interested in each other but i think when we've talked about it in the past we we've thrown out the possibility that it could have been pretty one-sided right and i think albus was certainly captivated and, and maybe even in love but i think grindelwald would have used it for his own purposes and and if he knew the dumbledores had an obscurus living at home it could have been a perfect opportunity for him to come in and and use it to his own advantage that's a yeah. great point point.
2: and he might have found out about it i mean he likely would have found out about it that summer that he was staying in godric's hollow um, You could even posit that perhaps he already knew or had an inkling and decided that he wanted to go stay with his aunt in Godric's Hollow so he could get close to this. And, oh, how convenient, the Dumbledores have a teenage son my age. Let me get close to him. Not saying that there wasn't any reciprocity in the feelings between the two of them, but I get the sense that Grindelwald uh, is definitely one who will do things for his greater good. Right. So probably the most important thing here was getting close to Ariana.
0: And then finally from Rita neither Dumbledore nor Grindelwald ever seems to have referred to this brief boyhood friendship in later life. However, <laughs> there can be no doubt that Dumbledore delayed for some 5
1: years of turmoil, fatalities
0: and disappearances his attack upon Grindelwald.
1: That's interesting to have that timeline because the Fantastic Beasts series picks uh, picks up like, you know, something like 18 years before 1945. And so 1845 it picks up in 27 yeah so it's interesting to figure out when the timer starts i'm sure this is just something that the film franchise is gonna change like flat out change because already the ministry of magic is asking dumbledore to interfere and save grunewald so it's not like everything's gonna be wrapped up in 1932 um that won't happen by
0: the way you said 1845 i think you were talking about 19 right oh yeah oh yeah nicholas Fulmel over here So old, can't even keep track of uh, time anymore.
1: (laughs) What century is
0: (laughs) it? Exactly.
1: We'll
2: get back to things in just a moment. But first, I wanted to share a word from one of my favorite sponsors, Third Love. It's nice to treat yourself once in a while, and what better way than investing in a brand new bra from Third Love? I've been wearing their bras for a couple of years now, and I swear by the fit. Third Love knows the science behind top-to-bottom comfort without sacrificing style, from perfectly fitted bras and underwear to quality sleepwear. It makes such a difference to wear a perfectly fitted bra. My clothes look better, and I'm not constantly having to adjust the fit throughout the day, like is so often the case with other bras. I'm a fan of 3rd Love's 24-7 Perfect Coverage Bra, but there are lots of styles to choose from. Need to find out your perfect fit? Look no further than 3rd Love's fitting room quiz. It's a quick and easy quiz to help discover your perfect fit while taking into account size, shape, current fit issues, and your personal style. No more awkward in-person fitting room experiences? Sounds like a win to me. You deserve some TLC. That's 3rd Love Comfort. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast now to get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 20% off today.
0: So let's talk about what happened in The Crimes of Grindelwald. We got three scenes. We were all very excited to get Dumbledore in this movie. And of course, that also meant that we were returning to Hogwarts, which was equally exciting. There was also, remember, a lot of drama around... Uh, Dumbledore being the D.A.D.A. teacher, because from what we knew, he was a transfiguration teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I We're not going to get into that today, but
1: where do we see him first, Eric? Well, we see him uh, actually in London, good old London, and this is kind of exciting because uh, the, what rewatching Crimes of Grindelwald really shown, like me, how grown up magic looks. And I think they've also fine tuned it from like a cinematography perspective. So Newt is being tailed by the Ministry and whether he does it or whether Dumbledore's hand, he's able to lose his tail. That scene with the umbrella. You guys remember the mm-hmm. the guy blowing down the sidewalk? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's wonderful. And it's so fun to see. But, you know, turning a corner, Newt actually sees a disembodied gloved hand, which is motioning, pointing towards the rooftop where Dumbledore and Newt are going to meet. And, you know, I thought I had seen it all. But this this disembodied hand is really, as it turns out, really quite cool. And it's a perfect introduction to the character of Dumbledore because it's magic that's far and above everything we've seen before. But for me, it harkens to the line, I don't need a cloak to make myself invisible. <laughs> and that is something that Dumbledore actually says in the books. And it's also a
0: little playful to have this glove kind of like talking in a way with the, with the hand cues, with the motion of the hand. I liked it. I thought it was a very nice introduction to Dumbledore.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's very novel, too. It's a form of magic that we haven't really seen on the screen thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just different enough, just quirky enough to be Dumbledore.
0: And speaking of quirky, Dumbledore is also on a very noticeable, unique roof, which Newt is uh, quick to mention. He says something about uh, not being able to pick a more inconspicuous roof to stand on. He has to
1: stand on the one that people might actually be looking at. Yeah. But but to this, I mean, Dumbledore quickly creates fog. He just changes the weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about like novel magic. And it's the whole city, casts... too. It's
0: like, damn, that's... Uh... The entire... Okay.
1: Yeah, and like minutes later, they operate to the other side of town, and right, it's still foggy on the there.
0: Why not just stay on the roof? You apparently liked that roof a lot, if you chose it.
1: <laughs> I just like to see the young... pigeons. Oh ah. yeah, <laughs> pooping on them. Well,
3: and one one thing just to note too is that scene is kind of juxtaposed later on in the film when Grindelwald casts that dark substance
1: uh, over oh. the th- mm-hmm. Paris. Yep. But interesting Mm -hmm. exposition. So the whole Newt meeting Dumbledore scene basically leads into an explained backstory for the first Fantastic Beasts film. Newt says to Dumbledore, well, basically reveals that Dumbledore told Newt where to find the Thunderbird, which if you remember, the Thunderbird Frank was Newt's whole reason for being in New York and the whole impetus for the first Fantastic Beasts film. So Dumbledore kind of knowing that Newt would want to do the right thing and take the Thunderbird back to America where it belongs uh, kind of was a way of tricking Newt. Let's just go ahead and say it into being in New York at the time when Grindelwald was going to, you know, make his move when graves, you know, it just basically was all manipulation to get Newt to New York. And this is kind of the interesting thing about Harry and Newt is that Newt is older and isn't afraid to accuse Dumbledore of that level of manipulation. Harriet, it takes like six books for him to get up to courage. But Newt just does it straight away.
0: And on a related note, there is a deleted scene in the special features called Walk and Talk. Classic deleted scene title. Walk and Talk. And by the way, it's just an N. Walk, Walk and N. Who names talk.
1: these? Ugh.
0: So in this deleted scene, Dumbledore confirms to Newt early on in the plot right around the scene that we're talking about that he pushed Newt to New York to get to credence before Grindelwald got to him because Grindelwald had had a vision that an obscurial could kill Dumbledore. So I don't know why they deleted this. It's actually a very short scene. It's less than a minute. Maybe they didn't want to be this clear about it.
1: Maybe they thought the plot was too complicated. They did
0: include it in the deleted scene. So I,
1: I, I don't really understand. Well, it's not in my but, script book, Andrew. I don't know who to talk to about that.
0: Right. If it's not in the script book, did it really happen? Is it canon?
1: <laughs> yeah. But it's it's just crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you open up, you know, Crimes of Grindelwald and it's this new scene with Dumbledore pretty early on, they're already talking about Credence. And I remember being sort of shook in the movie theater because I didn't know specifically that Dumbledore would know about Credence. You know, it seems like everyone in the world is talking about Credence and who he really is at the beginning of this film and it's just like well what caused that was it the fact that he was revealed to be an obscurial and now caused a big scene in new york everyone seems to want to know him
3: right and what was the true reasoning behind dumbledore having newt go after credence yeah after what we find out at the end of the film is it more to do with the fact that he's family less to do with the fact Uh, that he could potentially be used as a weapon probably a bit of both.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a little too like a uh, after school special soap opera to assume that Dumbledore would be like I failed Ariana so I'm going to try and do right by Credence or <laughs> Aurelius or whatever his name is.
1: Whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting that he's sending Newt. You know, we do get a sense in this first scene just wrapping up here, uh, a full sense of how they admire one another and how they respect one another in a, in a weird way, like Newt, I think wants to do the right thing for the right reason. And Albus is like, great. I need somebody who's like that. He even says to Newt, do you know why I admire you more than any man I know? And excuse me, but if you look at the power dynamic between these two men, that's insane. That's like a world renowned, like the, literally the most popular man in the world saying, I have affection for you. And you can guarantee by Newt's response that that's the first time that he ever heard that his mentor, whom he probably adores, feels the same way about him. It's a classic manipulation tactic. It's disgusting, mm. actually. But he says that he's, he's he loves buttering him. him up. Yeah, he's buttering him up because he's <laughs> about to send him on this ridiculous quest that could end in his life. But uh, he ends up saying, you don't seek power or popularity. You ask, is a thing right? And do that. And so he says Newt's basically like, you know, a good guy.
0: And this plays into the theme of the movie, one of the themes of the movie, which is, you know, picking a side. Theseus tries to say to Newt, you know, you're going to have to pick a side at some point. And I think that connects here because Newt's side is the one that he feels is right.
3: Yep. I still think we have a little bit to learn about why this relationship seems to be so strong between the two of them Mm -hmm. and why there's this trust factor that Dumbledore really has for Newt and why newt is willing to do this in the first place
1: well didn't it have to do with sure he's busy he's got other stuff to do well didn't it have to do with newt getting expelled from hogwarts like in and whatever yeah i was gonna say that too
0: didn't albus bail him out of that or something or albus helped him there he and lita
1: did something like he there was a jarvi it was written in this was in the um foreword of one of the fantastic beasts uh like the new like version the book. with the updated yeah, beasts. Yeah, like yeah. He, Newt took the fall for Leta and Dumbledore kind of maybe smoothed things over. But the, the weirdest part of it is Leta is now dead, presumably, at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald. So even though they had a flashback with Leta and Newt at Hogwarts, it did not cover that territory. And so it would just be really weird to sort of revisit what really happened there. But I think it is crucial, to your point, Mike, about why Newt and Dumbledore have this relationship and it could be related to ariana we we don't know so the next time we see dumbledore is actually at hogwarts and can you believe it they introduce the scene with a great hedwig's theme fanfare it's like what is this (laughs) doing in this movie is this the temp track that they used in the screenings what's going on well it's very recognizable of course so they have to They have to use that. But uh, it's pretty interesting. So Travers, who's the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, not the Minister for Magic, but the, you know, the wizard cop role, uh, arrives in Dumbledore's Defense Against the Dark Arts class and basically kicks all the students out and then asks Dumbledore to, well, first of all, he accuses Dumbledore of sending Newt to Paris and (laughs) Albus is kind of like, oh... What are you going to do? Newt doesn't listen da da. da, da. tries to play it off. And then Travers asks Dumbledore specifically to work uh, about Grindelwald. But what I love about this scene is you really do get to see Dumbledore as a teacher.
0: Yes. And I'll have more to say about this a little later. I think when we're talking about our favorite Dumbledore moments in this film, I just I did love seeing him teach as well.
1: Speaking about um, some information from Deathly Hallows, how it was said that Dumbledore, even at year one of Hogwarts, was talking to the greatest magical minds of the day. Travers, in the film Crimes of Grindelwald, refers to Albus's network of international contacts. And he says, basically, you're undermining us by having these contacts, positioning your people in Paris. Like, you know, Travers says, I don't like you, but I think that you're Grindelwald's equal. And it's a pretty powerful mm-hmm. scene, you know. We don't know this guy from Adam, but he's telling Albus that he's the one who can stop Grindelwald, and that's what everyone mm-hmm. knows, and that's what everyone later says about Dumbledore and Voldemort. He's the only one he ever feared.
3: His his family though does uh, dabble in the dark arts a little bit later on in the century, right? Travers is a Death Eater, or at least a, a surname of a Death Eater. Yeah, it's pretty interesting in with Harry that. Potter. Yeah, familiar. Pretty
2: coincidental, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think it is interesting, too, that we get to see the ministry sort of feeling undermined by Dumbledore during the Fantastic Beast series, as well as the core Potter books, because we know that was a big point of stress and contention between uh, Dumbledore and Fudge. Right. So it's just interesting to see that that theme has carried on for quite some time.
0: Good point. I will also note. So Dumbledore is talking about how um he and Grindelwald were quote closer than brothers. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's this very sudden escalation in tone from Travers and it makes me think that there were actually some other lines in this scene where maybe Dumbledore was actually explaining more potentially about how close he and Grindelwald were, because it just it just it elevates so quickly. It just seems like a very awkward cut to me, and maybe I'm overthinking it. But I feel like maybe they cut out some some of what Dumbledore had to say about his feelings towards Grindelwald, his relationship towards with Grindelwald, um, and withhold that for a later movie. Yeah, it's I,
3: definitely possible because they don't do a great job though of really explaining like Dumbledore doesn't in this moment of explaining why he can't move. Right? He just says that he can't. But why? Right. Like what right. what are you afraid He says to it to Newt, too. Yeah. yeah, at this yeah. point, I mean, it takes until the end of the movie and the Niffler snatching the blood pact for Dumbledore to give a little bit more information, but I, I don't think he wants to work with the ministry though, either that, and, and maybe no. that's a theme that carries into Harry Potter. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he puts a whole lot of stock into the government.
1: I agree with you. And I think his warning to Theseus says that too, when he tells Theseus, you know, if Travers barges in there, make sure that you're not part of that, that demonstration. Like he gives Theseus a warning because he cares about Theseus, his former student. He doesn't care about the ministry. Fair. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, But actually, sort of a little later on, but still at Hogwarts, uh, Lita is shown wandering the grounds, and she opens up a desk upon which is carved L plus N, which is very weird. Newt and Lita, even though Lita is married to Theseus. So we don't know what's going on there, might never figure it out, but actually get a scene from Albus kind of confronting her, and they have a conversation. And it's pretty interesting Because he seems to be trying to get Lita to confess something. We've just seen the scene with like her Bogart as a kid. And now, again, the topic of her brother, who may or may not be Credence, comes up. And Dumbledore has this line. He says, confession is a great relief, I'm told. A weight lifted. Regret is a constant companion. He's trying to get her to open up, but I don't really get it.
0: Well, and the I'm told is very interesting because it implies that Albus has never shared important secrets with (laughs) others. It it sounds like he himself has never confessed when he needs to, right? (laughs) He's like, I'm told says,
1: I haven't experienced the feeling. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I want you to tell me something. Uh, I hear that telling people things they want you to tell them is a good thing. (laughs) So do that for me, please. Yeah.
3: And we don't realize this at the time, but, you know, the whole boggart. It's tied to Dumbledore too, if in fact, if in fact, Credence is a Dumbledore, right? Because the whole baby swap mm. on the ship, right? Lita essentially yep. on the Titanic, yeah, <laughs> saves Credence Credence's life, right? In that moment,
0: yeah. So Lita asks if he loved his sister, and after a pause, Dumbledore says, "Not as well as I should have done." So let's think back to what we know about Dumbledore and Ariana, and. Think again about this quote. What are our theories about this line? And I have two. One, does he think he should have taken care of Ariana differently? Maybe he thinks he should never have had this idea with Grindelwald to run off when Ariana wasn't well. Or theory two, remember, Ariana accidentally killed her mother when she lost control of her magic. And we know from earlier in the movie, in the words of Dumbledore, an obscurus grows in the absence of love. Does he think that loving Ariana better would have prevented the death of Kendra? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I just love putting these puzzle pieces together and saying like, God, we know Dumbledore suffered this emotional loss, but which one is he referring to here? Right.
3: (laughs) I know we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about this at some point when when we do a lot of theorizing about what lies ahead in future Fantastic Beasts films, but I think you know, it's certainly possible that multiple things contributed to Ariana becoming an obscurus. You know, we don't have full transparency on what happened to her, but it's clearly a traumatic enough event to create an absence of love by itself. Aberforth mentions Ariana's admiration of Albus oh, yeah. in the Potter series. And I think if this wasn't truly returned by him and he was instead in love and focused on Grindelwald and their quest for power, that could have also have contributed to her kind of internalizing her magic a bit, and then we don't know how close she was with her father, and maybe she blamed herself for him going to Azkaban. So, I, I think it's any number of those things that that could play a role. But um, if uh, we were ha- we were like forced to pick one, it would probably the Muggle event. Um, and again, it's it's unclear what happened, and we can certainly hypothesize and come up with different things, but. Likely enough, enough to make her internalize her magic and and create this kind of horrible twin.
1: Well said. And then after the Dumbledore and Lita scene, we actually don't see Dumbledore until after the finale. And this is uh, what Andrew you said: uh, Newt presents this blood pact. Says it's a blood pact, isn't it? Um, Apparently, that's a known thing for an obscure thing of magic. But you know, Dumbledore kind of comes clean. He says to Newt, "Yes." This is, how'd you get it? And also maybe it can be destroyed. It's just, it's this huge obstacle now that, but but Newt got it. So he kind of saved the day, even though he wasn't strictly intending to. Maybe that was Dumbledore's plan. And the Niffler saved the day. Maybe that was Dumbledore's plan all along, was to send the Niffler to Paris. He knew that where (laughs) Newt goes, the Niffler goes as well.
0: And I think very importantly, it was a Niffler that got that thing. Because that helps explain why this series is called Fantastic Beasts. (laughs) How do you get it? A Fantastic Beast. The name of this franchise. (sighs) See? We named this franchise correctly. Fantastic Beasts
2: and The Rise of Grindelwald. Like, that's, I mean, it's really just like, it really does start to feel a lot more over time. Like, it's less to do with the beasts.
0: It does. But it'll, each movie will have moments like these, where you're reminded <laughs> how important beasts can be. Yeah,
1: because Grindelwald, for one, underestimated the Niffler. And that was to his own detriment here.
0: Right. Or think about Pickett unlocking the lock earlier in the movie when they're in those sewers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're helpful sometimes. This is basically Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not Pokemon. Um, (laughs) The creatures are occasionally helpful. As we continue discussing Dumbledam, I want to talk about his Dumbledam impressive smile. I know how he got that, in part thanks to how he takes care of his mouth. This week's episode is sponsored by Quip, makers of all kinds of excellent products to keep your mouth as healthy as Dumbledore's. Let's talk about mouthwash. Mouthwash hasn't changed in 140 years. Most brands are still selling those big bulky bottles that are mostly full of water and alcohol, but like they did with their toothbrushes and floss, the oral care experts at Quip reinvented mouthwash by giving you more of the ingredients you need and less of the stuff that already comes out of your faucet. Plus, their alcohol-free 4X Concentrated Mouthwash comes in a beautiful eco-friendly refill bottle that's 100% recyclable. It's their way of helping make your mouth a little cleaner and the earth a little greener. Quit Mouthwash kills bad breath germs, helps prevent cavities, and leaves you feeling fresh. Their 4X Concentrate has fluoride and xylitol, but they left out the artificial colors and stinging alcohol you'll find in other rinses. And by the way, Quip's refillable mouthwash is good for your mouth and the planet. With that 4X concentrated formula, Quip ships less water and more good-for-you ingredients. Each eco-friendly refill replaces a big, bulky 470 milliliter bottle from one of those other brands once diluted. And Quip's refill bottles are made from 100% recyclable plastic. I cannot brush my teeth without also using mouthwash. It truly improves how clean your mouth feels. So please give Quip's mouthwash a try. And if you go to getquip.com slash muggle5 right now, you can get $5 off a mouthwash starter kit. That's $5 off a mouthwash starter kit, which includes a refillable dispenser and a 90-dose supply of Quip's 4X concentrated formula at getquip.com slash muggle5. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Muggle5. Quip is the Good Habits company.
1: So this whole blood pack thing, I wanted to get your guys' opinion, and this is sort of a more of a general commentary on the movie now that we can transition into, but it seems like I'm of two minds here. I like that there's a blood pact for the sake that we know Dumbledore knows things about Love. And blood magic, he used Harry's blood with his, with his you know, aunt to protect him on Privet Drive. So it makes sense to me that, like, in later years, Dumbledore would know all this stuff about love and blood magic because he used it to create a blood pack. But on the other hand, this is kind of like a MacGuffin or this is like a an obstacle. like when he says, I can't move against Grindelwald, it's not because he's emotionally torn for his ex-lover, which you would think. But it's because there's this, I don't know, this finagly little piece of jewelry that's going to prevent the two men from spelling one another. You know, like, I don't love it as an obstacle.
2: Yeah, it feels like very reminiscent of, you know, the prophecy and the whole neither can live while the other survives type vibe. Obviously, this is different because I think what we're supposed to take from the blood pact is that it just prevents them from being able to act against one another, and obviously that's why Grindelwald mm-hmm. is seeking out the obscurious, right? Um, but it just feels like it has a lot in common with a plot device we've already seen before. So I'm not sure how I feel about it.
0: I
3: I agree with Laura. It it feels a little too Horcruxy, Unbreakable Valley. Mm. To me, it's like it's the Fantastic Beasts version of. Of those types of, of barriers, essentially, like Dumbledore can't move against Grindelwald because of a little trinket with some blood in it. It, it, it just, it seems like it's a borrowed idea. And I don't know. I would find the story to be even more kind of captivating if he just felt deep down inside that he couldn't move against him because of their past relationship as opposed to having some physical item that needs to be in the way
0: right well and that's what they did feel and to solidify things they created this blood pack like i don't i don't mind this object and i feel like maybe because it's a movie they felt like they needed something tangible mm. something physical that you can actually show on screen something something you can physically acquire
3: you know, but a blood th- pact really like you couldn't come up with something more inventive than a blood pact.
1: Well, I I don't see what's wrong. No, with again, it. I like it I because the blood magic is something we would have probably made it. Maybe like I like the idea that Dumbledore early on learned about this type of stuff because we do see him use it in the Harry Potter books. But maybe in the beginning of the next film, a young Mundungus Fletcher is going to steal the blood pact <laughs> thinking he can sell it. And that's why it takes Dumbledore another fifteen years to get after Grindwald, because they haven't, they don't have the blood pact back. They need to get the trinket back.
3: You said the key word: sell. They can sell the blood pact. That's why yeah. they wanted to oh, have that man. in the movie.
0: Yeah, that's a yeah. factor too. Probably uh, does the I noble mean, collection same have thing a with blood the baby pact? Nifflers Seven and...
3: Horcruxes. You can sell all the Horcruxes. Novo... Except so, Perry. Micah,
0: if I if I said to you, "Here's a blood pact from me to you," because I want to be this close with you i i never want to move against you you would reject it you'd be like no that's stupid (laughs) oh my
1: god you have
3: have to have a little more emotion than that guys i was (laughs) joking
1: here but the noble collection absolutely sells a fantastic beast pendant which is the blood pact yeah
0: 49 bucks yep three inches tall includes a 26 inch chain and it says can be stolen by a niffler
1: is
3: that all love is worth 50 bucks (laughs) $49.99. Forty nine ninety
0: nine. <laughs> you can't put a price on love.
2: What are what are the blood types that are in there though? We talking type A, type O?
1: <laughs> Can you add your own blood? Oh my God. <laughs> Let's write to the noble collection. To find <laughs> out. Yeah. So uh, I guess that goes back to the discussion of like how will the final battle turn out? I like the idea of it just being strictly personal, right? Like these are two men that have gone their separate ways, but they're like it's almost like a jilted lovers' fight, like. Yeah, There's something so, 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 so personal to the eventual battle. And I hope that's where they lean towards more than just the big fight. But anyway, speaking about uh, personal connections to one another, I want to ask, does Dumbledore actually care about Newt? And does the Crimes of Grindelwald movie give us any evidence as to this specifically?
2: So... Uh, just kind of basing this off what we know about Dumbledore and how he interacts with Harry from the core books. I think that it's probably a case of multiple truths here. Like we saw Dumbledore very clearly cared for Harry, thinking about his whole justification at the end of Order of the Phoenix of not telling Harry the ugly truth about his fate um, until the very last minute. And of course, we know in Order of the Phoenix, he doesn't fully tell him the truth. And he's giving Harry this explanation under the guise of like, I thought you were too young. I cared too much for you. And this is why I didn't tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that it's possible for Dumbledore to have affection for and care for these students. But I think that the mission counts just a little bit more for him. And I think it always will.
1: I agree with that. I think that it's going to take a lot following Dumbledore's breakup with Grindelwald, if you can call it that. I think Dumbledore also had to put up barriers around his inner self and he might've shut himself off to the capability of not only loving somebody the way that he loved Grindelwald ever again, but also trusting people. Because that does things with your trust when the person you love turns out to be a mass murderer, and I think he loves Newt in the way that he admires him and says so. But I think that he ceased to see when he closed when he shored up his vulnerabilities. He ceased to see Newt as a full person and started playing the more of the role of you know manipulator of chess pieces.
2: Yeah, I think mm. that. Dumbledore's character we see him come a long way throughout this I mean by the time we see him in the course series he's a fierce advocate for all students regardless of their parentage Um, he does not think that muggles should be subservient to wizards even though there was a time when he did genuinely believe that wizards were the superior beings And thus had a responsibility to be higher up on the totem pole than everyone else. Right. So we have gotten a lot of character development for Dumbledore, but I think that this can become a conversation about how much do we think Dumbledore actually evolved um, or how much evolution do we think people are capable of. Because he's still playing chess with people's lives, yeah. right? So there's still a little bit of that "for the greater good" thing going on at the back of his mind.
3: Totally. Yeah. You you mentioned earlier the uh, was it Travers who brought, brings up sort of this international cohort. Like Dumbledore has these people strategically placed all throughout the world. If that doesn't scream like chess master or master manipulate well maybe not master manipulator that's that's a strong term to use but i just feel like it's it's hard knowing what we know about him from the potter series to not think of him through that lens as we you know, go through the fantastic beasts series right we're we're always going to go with that kind of pig for slaughter mentality unfortunately
0: yeah but you also have to think that the author slash screenwriter is also writing young dumbledore with the events of the harry potter books in mind i don't know maybe her writing of young dumbledore is negatively influenced in that she knows where he's going that's interesting mm-hmm
1: yeah I I like seeing the fallout with Grindelwald as being this whole thing that sets Dumbledore in the way in his ways. And it allows us to see him as kind of like this one track person. But Laura, you point out there is still actually quite a ways to go in practice because there's so many decades where by the time Harry gets to school, somebody like Lucius Malfoy would spit on Dumbledore if they could like because of how muggle loving he is. And that is, that is actually a, uh, you know, glacial, but like monumental shift from perspective. Touching real briefly on the very end of the film, which is interspersed with Dumbledore and Newt, there's this reveal, which unless you have subtitles, you don't know what he's saying. A lot of people had that complaint when the film came out. Aurelius Dumbledore. <laughs> so Credence is a Dumbledore, question mark. What does that say about Albus's motives in getting his brother back or what is going on?
0: Right. Right. People are very on the fence about whether or not he is truly a Dumbledore. What I fear is that in movie three, we're going to find out how he actually is a Dumbledore, and we're not going to like the answer.
2: I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I saw this in theaters, I rolled my eyes so hard at this part. I was like, oh my God, are we serious right now? Everyone's just related. Everybody is somehow tied back to Dumbledore, which is somehow tied back to Harry Potter. Okay, we get it. I just really want some more original storytelling, please.
1: Everyone's a Skywalker.
2: Yeah. Right, That's what it feels like.
0: And I was going to say this earlier, like Star Wars... There might be some beats being repeated here. I don't know if that's a huge issue. Personally, I didn't mind the the Ray trilogy, the, the Rise of Skywalker trilogy, whatever people call that trilogy. Um, even though there were similar beats found in the in the original trilogy. Um, to your points about things being repeated here, so far I don't particularly mind them. I
3: don't disagree. I I just think that Dumbledore has a lot of explaining to do because he has a lot of sibling issues that need to be sorted out in these next couple of movies. And if you wanted to be an only child. Yeah. uh,
0: Well, and and again, it needs to be a good explanation. I'm afraid it's going to be some convoluted, like the, you know, the obscurial Ariana's obscurial transferred into credence. And now he's a Dumbledore, you know, something weird like that. I, I want him to be, A true Dumbledore. A Dumbledore since birth, you know, I don't want him to have became a Dumbledore.
2: Uh, I want Grindelwald to be punking him hardcore. I want Grindelwald (laughs) to be, like, convincing him. Because think about what Credence wants, right? Like, he's been rejected his whole life. He's finally found some explanation for this unexplained magic that he has in him and now he's being told by this powerful wizard you're actually a member of one of the most famous wizarding families ever to try and gain his trust and confidence so that he can use him i really really hope that he's just punking him Um, i feel like that's the only outcome that i won't find eye roll worthy but we'll see i'll uh try to keep my mind open
3: they already have an obscurus in the family right we don't need two so unless <laughs> what, if
1: you, what if it's the same one that's what that's it, what
0: i'm thinking
3: yeah yeah i i like that theory andrew We we also talked on an episode a long time ago i forget which one it was but that maybe grindelwald and dumbledore created credence like maybe through alchemy had
0: they had a baby
3: <laughs> <laughs> through alchemy Dude, right uh, yes alchemy is is
1: a big part of the series um and it's maybe- the pursuit of changing metals to gold and aurelius the name means golden one mm. yeah. we need to have a whole okay. other theory episode
2: so they transformed him or he was or he will be transformed into helga hufflepuff's cup <laughs> problem solved <laughs> mystery
0: solved y'all but then
3: that's another <laughs> character from this uh fantastic beast series that's a horcrux that's going to be destroyed <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> no yeah many- that's where i thought laura
0: was be? going with
1: that oh <laughs> awful
0: so i mean to, to laura's point a couple of minutes ago maybe what will happen is in fantastic beast 3 you know laura you said maybe uh grindelwald is is punking Credence, So maybe at the beginning of Fantastic Beasts 3, Grindelwald can be like, so um, you're not actually a Dumbledore, and I'm not actually played by Johnny Depp. (laughs) There was a bunch of pranking going on in movie two. (laughs) No, he'll just (laughs) out there.
2: It'll open up and it'll pick up right where the last movie left off, except Mads Mikkelsen will then turn around to make the Grindelwald reveal. And he'll have this like self-satisfied smirk on his face. Do a little bit of, like, an eyebrow waggle, like,
1: like got him. I feel like that about wraps up our character discussion on Albus Dumbledore. Good to be back doing these. Good to be back,
0: yeah, Yeah, and uh, we were all fiery today. I think we all had a lot we wanted to say about Dumbledore. Of course we did. He's, uh, He's quite a handful, but we're trying to take care of him. In bonus MuggleCast this week, available on our Patreon, we will be discussing our favorite Dumbledore scenes from Crimes of Grindelwald. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also record a voice memo and send that to mugglecast at gmail.com or you can call us. You can reach us at one nine two zero three 3Muggle. That's 1920 368 4453. It's time for Quizage.
1: Last week's question. Who portrayed the character of Barry Fairbrother on the BBC series adaptation of Casual Vacancy? Michael Gambin. The correct answer was British actor Rory Kinnear. Oh. And correct answers were submitted by Janine, Countess Lasagna, Danny Kaye, funny name goes here, Dobby Sock, Ansley Kaye, Griffin Dork, Snitch Baby 89, the potato you planted in first grade is now starting a revolution to destroy Earth and all the people on it. And Eric, please, with my name for Quidditch. Uh Okay. You know,
3: I jokingly said Michael Gambon, but wasn't he in
0: Casual Vacancy? Yes, he was
3: in it. Yes, yeah.
1: absolutely. And it's time for next week's question. Kieran Hines, who plays... Aberforth, Dumbledore, and Harry Potter, The Deathly Hallows starred alongside these other Harry Potter alums, Gary Oldman, John Hurt, and Toby Jones. In this 2011 adaptation of a novel by John LeCare. what was the name of the novel slash film that they all starred in together? Submit your answer to us on MuggleCast.com slash Quizzitch using the Google form found on that page. At the beginning
0: of today's episode... Eric ran through a couple of Dumbledore nicknames, and then we got talking about how Ariana was, uh, or sorry, Dumbledore was parenting Ariana. And I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Elena, who's listening live tonight. She added a new nickname to uh, Dumbledore's repertoire, Stay
1: at Home Dumbledad, which I thought was clever. <laughs> uh, do you think he became Mr. Head for Ariana? I don't get the reference. What is that? The Holiday. The Holiday. Andrew. Oh, Mr. Napkin.
0: Mr. Napkin
1: Head. Napkinhead. Yeah. Mr. Napkin His I'm children want him to. He does the oh, cute I thing with the Mr. Napkin Head. It's the whole thing.
0: I
3: Come yeah, on. Okay. <laughs> I thought you liked that movie.
0: I'm a bad. I do. For S- other people. Celebrate Christmas. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Napkin Head.
3: Christmas in July, Andrew. Turn it on this weekend. <laughs>
0: So I mentioned Elena is listening live and many other listeners are listening live right now. And that's because they support us at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. If you become a patron today, you get instant access to years of bonus MuggleCast installments. You get access to our recording studio so you can watch us and listen to us record each new episode. You get access to our planning docs. You get early access to MuggleCast, all kinds of things. And your support goes to keeping the show running so thanks to everybody who supports us at patreon.com slash mugglecast speaking of thank yous you also get a personalized video thank you message we look right in the camera and we say hey elena hey whoever thank you so much for supporting us uh we think that's a pretty cool gift i know if i was supporting a podcast i would think that was super cool if one of my podcasting heroes uh said thanks dumbledad leo laporte (laughs) yep right but you now better Now we're going to have people
2: signing up under the names like Dumble Dam and Dumble Dad. So we're going <laughs> to have fun. to record those videos with that greeting.
0: <laughs> Sounds good to me.
1: Yeah, I look forward to thanking Mrs. Weasley's knitting needles for being a uh a, a, <laughs> that was another person who got the quiz, it's right? For becoming a patron on Patreon. That'll be fun. Nice. And uh, just a sneak peek
3: at next week's episode. It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years since Deathly Hallows part two was released to the world and the series finally came to a close, but that's what we'll be talking about next week, reminiscing and uh, coming up with some fun stuff to uh, celebrate the anniversary.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about the movie of course, but I think we can talk about our experiences at midnight showings of the movie. Cause I'm sure we all went to those.
3: And also just what it meant for the series to wrap up officially. Yeah.
0: That was the end. The end of Potter. That was the end. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. I'm Andrew.
1: I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Maura.
0: See you next week. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.